You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 247, Amy Watson on trauma, healing, and community. This one is hard, but so powerful. Jesus really shows up. But first, a message from our sponsors. The event of the year for Christian business owners is just around the corner. Handprint Legacy Live 2021 is virtual this year, which makes it super easy to attend from anywhere in the world without makeup, long flights, or expensive hotel rooms. Thursday through Saturday, June 24 to 26, we'll spend three powerful days mapping out your first or next most important steps for your business. I'm Katie Horner. My husband and I have grown from full-time ministry in Mexico to full-time international business owners by understanding and solving the countless marketing challenges faced by Christian entrepreneurs. We created the Handprint Legacy Live event as a safe haven where small business owners, teachers, authors, and coaches strategize, implement, and grow their business. This event is highly interactive and tickets are limited. Grab yours today before we sell out because three days of Bible-based fun and marketing instruction is going to leave you with your next marketing funnel all mapped out. Register now for the 2021 event at handprintlegacylive.com. Friends, if you're interested in Katie's conference, Handprint Legacy Live 2021, use just go to ericnevins.com slash handprint. Uh, for your access to that event. That is a special affiliate link that I, that she gave me to use. If you do, then that she sends a little bit back toward in my direction. So again, ericnevins.com slash handprint, ericnevins.com slash handprint. Thanks a lot. Let's get this show started. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. Of course, I'm your host, Eric Nevins, and I'm so glad that you are here. Welcome to the show. We have a, an, and it's going to be an amazing conversation. I know that. Um, today, if you uh, haven't had a chance to go out to halfwaytherepodcast.com, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're not following the show in your podcast app, do that right now. Just flip it open and follow, subscribe, whatever language they're using today. I saw an article the other day that they're going to stop using the word subscribe, which is confusing to people who think they have to pay for it. Um, but it's absolutely free. So if you can do that, go ahead and do it to make sure that you get those notifications. And halfway there, podcast.com, you can sign up for the email list. So I'll send you an email every single time an episode comes out. You'll know that it's out there along with a couple of my thoughts and maybe a question or two. Uh, today, we have a great conversation. She's become one of my favorite podcasters. She started her podcast. Well, she'll tell us all about that, but it's one of these 2020 podcasts. And uh, she's doing some amazing and important work, I think. Uh, not only is she a podcaster, but she's also a businesswoman. And I appreciate uh, all that she does there. She's very industrious. Our guest is Amy Watson. Amy, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, you, you were telling me earlier you just planted a hundred trees or something today. Like that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it too. I, I don't feel twenty five anymore either. I know. Well, that's what I mean by you're very industrious. Just for for our listeners. Well, welcome to halfway there. So I'm glad that you're here, and um, you tell us a little bit about. You know, I mentioned that your podcast is kind of your 2020 baby. So tell us about that, and then 
Um, we'll go back into your story and, and hear the hear the whole thing. Yeah, I'd love to love that opportunity. Um, I call my podcast, as many people did, the the my pandemic pivot. There you go. Um, for for so as a matter of fact, yesterday was the one year anniversary that I had to let go my entire team. I have been in the restaurant consultant slash recruiting industry for 26 years. And so as I watched the country shut down, I was watching a 26 year career just vanish before my eyes. And I uh, had to let go of my entire team as almost 15 people, one of the more difficult times of my life. Wow. Um, I live in Florida. So this time of year is awesome. It's the actual time of year when we can go outside. And so one day in mid-April, uh, I was laying out in my hammock, looking up at the sky, and I literally said, now what? And God said, hey, remember, remember, and and for your listeners, obviously, I didn't audibly hear this, but the Lord impressed upon my heart, hey, your friend that told you you should start a podcast, why don't you go do that? So I went and ordered a microphone before the rest of the world did, because mine did come prime. That's good. And um, I have had been suffering with some huge writer's block. I'm writing a memoir, but my story is hard and writing it so people could read it is hard. And so I got behind a mic and started telling my story. And I named it after a blog that's been open for a long time, Wednesdays with Watson. But the first season is PTSD, Jesus and me. And it's my story. And I literally got behind the mic and just started talking. And the Lord showed up. And now it has become a huge passion of mine. And the Lord has done so many things with it. We're in our second season now, I think, just our 27th episode. I love that. So I, I love the idea that you just started sharing your story. Because I think that's one of the things that's super powerful about podcasting is we get a chance to share our experiences. I always say there's a reason that so much of the Bible is narrative, right? Like that's, we need yeah. to be sharing our experiences. What, anything Has anything surprised you about the response to your podcast? 100, all of it has surprised me. <laughs> I thought, you know, the 10 people that I asked to listen to it would listen to it. Um, the, the, the healing that has happened as a result of telling my story, you know, Jesus told stories to get to the, to get to people. And so the catharticness, even though I'm, I'm in counseling of telling my story, what surprised me. Uh, but I have to tell you, I'm looking across the screen at somebody I consider a friend that I can probably say five or six of those that I did not have this time last year. Who are my friends? who I will get a text message from and say, hey, Amy, you're doing good work because I have just poured myself into it everywhere. And um, and so that's that surprises me, the depth of the, some of the relationships that have come from of it and the opportunity to help people. Yeah, well, which is great. We'll talk about that. I love that whole thing about podcasting too. We are a tight-knit community, right? Podcasters yeah. who love each other and care about each other's, other's work. And it's not really competition, which is one of the things I like. So you know, our show does one thing and your show does another thing and somebody else's show comes at it from a similar but different perspective, right? And that's really, really good, I think, for the body of Christ. So then maybe that's been missing. So um, yeah, true. I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of glad for that. Well, and that's what, one reason we try to promote podcasters and, and Christian Podcasters Association. All right. So I want to hear about your story. We're going to go go back. And uh, I know, I know that it's, Actually, so to be honest with you, Amy, I haven't listened to any of your other ones. So, I, so I'm just letting curiosity lead. I've heard you talk. I know it's about PTSD and there's some abuse in there. And so I want you to just lay it out for us. But did you grow up? You're in Florida now. Did you grow up there? I am a native Floridian. Right. We're weird. Yeah. There aren't very many of us. 
Yeah. I, did. I grew I grew up on the east side of the state. Go Jacksonville Jaguars. Do not edit that out. <laughs> um, and uh, now, though, I live on the west side of the state and am not a bandwagon Bucks fan, but Champa Bay is where I there, live at the moment. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So the only thing I like about Florida is, uh, well, not, there's a lot of things I like, but the one thing I really like is my St. Louis Cardinals winter down there in Jupiter. So that's where they, that's right. That's South of me. They're yeah. playing right now. Tampa is a cool city too. That's, that's fun. There's it's a little a like place to live. Greek town or something mm-hmm. that I went to a couple of years ago when I got a chance to go. Well, okay. So you're in Florida, you're from Florida. And what was your, what was growing up like? Was it like uh did you have Christian home or what was that? Yeah. So this is when it could become a bit of a monologue, but you just kind of let me know if, if, if you have a question. Um, I, this will be the the second podcast that I'm going deep on because I, I just respect you and, and, and I want people to hear. Um, no, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I have, I've been an adult for as long as I can remember. Um, by my earliest memory, about three years old, um, my sister and I, uh, were locked in padlocked in a room and it was a old, old, old house, um, about a hundred years old at that time. This was the mid seventies. And the, the room that we were locked in had a window on top and, and a, and a solid, uh, door on the bottom. So, and, and there was a padlock and, and, and my mom and my stepdad padlocked us in and we would be in there for 18, 16, 20 hours a day. Sometimes we got to eat, sometimes we didn't. Um, and so, and a, a, a largely absent mom, my dad died when I was seven of, of, of his fifth heart attack and immense alcoholic. And uh, so we were, we were locked in that room, often neglected of food, water. Uh, fortunately, the bathroom was connected to that room. Um, and by the time my, my older sister was able to go to, to, to kindergarten, I then was locked in that room by myself for those two years, because there's three years between her and I. And so my early memories are being padlocked in a room and being withheld everything that three, four, five, six, seven year old Amy needs. And that includes everything from love to water to food and everything in between. My mom just did not want us. And so I very vividly remember um, when they would come, we would know they were coming. We would know by the, by the, by the footfalls of who it was. If it was my stepdad, it was going to be bad. If it was my mom, it was her telling us, Hey, he's making me do this. Um, but we could tell by the footfall, but I, I, I distinctly remember when that padlock would flip against that, that old wooden door. Mm. And that either meant freedom or it meant fear and fury. And so, so those are my earliest memories. And then when I was old enough to go to school, um, and my, I have a late birthday in December, but I started kindergarten at four years old. When I was old enough to go to school, then we just stayed away from there. And as long as we stayed away from home, uh, we weren't locked in that room. And so I began to go places and do things. And my mom would send me to places and, 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 and would put people in charge of us. Well, there's a very well-known serial killer, two of them, as a matter of fact, and people in Gen X will absolutely know this, but Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole. And Otis Toole is, uh, died on death row, having admitted to and um, charged with the death of Adam Walsh down in South Florida. Oh, the, the guy from uh, the guy, so his, America's so his, Most Wanted. Yeah, from America's Most Wanted, his son, Adam Walsh. 
those of us that can remember him and uh, his baseball picture was what they showed when they were trying to find him. Well, Otis Toole, a serial killer, had killed many people before Adam Walsh, had a friend, Henry Lee Lucas, who also was a serial killer and had killed many people. Well, by the time I was seven, I was responsible to feed myself. I was responsible to do, clothe myself. And so I was, I had jobs from selling peanuts to cleaning houses. You called me industrious at the beginning. Um, oh. it's because I've always had to be. Is that I, where that from comes from? Yeah, 100%. Wow. Yeah, I've always, I tell people I've been an adult my whole life. Yeah. Okay, so you feel like you have to just take care of yourself, obviously, like you, because nobody else was doing that. Right, so you can imagine what the pandemic did to me. Oh my goodness. When for the first time in my life, it was all out of my control. Short of going to work at Walgreens or something, everything that would bring in money for me, not that working at Walgreens is bad, but I'm a CEO of a company that's been... (laughs) Right. Been for 15 years. And so that's what I meant by that. But everything was taken out of my control during the pandemic. And so I've been an adult for as long as I can remember. Well, Henry Lee Lucas uh, was my first abuser. And um, I did not remember that until a couple of years ago. I just remembered that my first abuser's name was Henry. And uh, this is part of PTSD. As you heal, memories sometimes come. And, the, and then that one came that it was him. I then sat down and wrote about that uh, for a piece for the Writer's Digest uh, and placed second, uh, shockingly. Um, I just wrote what happened and the memory of that. So fast forward uh, three well, years from that first abuse, uh, I was at a friend's house and somebody knocked well, on the door hold, and said, hold on, I got to ask a question. How did you meet a serial killer? Like, how did you, is this where you're going? Yeah, well, my stepdad was friends with them. And, oh, uh, wow. and yeah. And so they tried, they, I don't know whether they knew, but so I will tell you that Henry Lee Lucas actually ended up killing my stepdad's daughter, my stepsister dismembered okay. her from Texas to Florida and just dropped her body off from Texas to Florida. Wow. Yeah. And so that's when we knew, Oh, these are bad people, but still my, you know, my mom just, as long as we weren't at home, she didn't care where we were. And so I spent about a 12 hour night being abused by Henry Lee Lucas when I was seven years old. And I walked down, I snuck out of the house at the, when he finally passed out the next morning and I went down the street, I was hungry and azaleas are blooming here right now. And uh, I, somebody, I went in front of somebody's house, cut the azaleas and then went on another street corner and sold those azaleas mm. for money to go get food. Wow. And that's what I did. I sold peanuts. I, I won contests at schools for candy bars. I did all the things just to eat, just to have clothes. And my mom is just kind of like, eh, you're breathing and the state's not here. So we're good here um, until we weren't. Wow. And so, but here, something very important happened between that first abuse at seven years old and my last abuser at 14 years old. And that is somebody knocked on the door and said, we got candy. Want to go to church? Mm. And I said, you got candy? Sure. And so I started going to church on a old yellow school bus. And that is where I met Jesus. And that is where I met hope. And even though I was still actively being neglected, abused, locked in rooms, working as a child, all the things uh, that those people and that church, and unfortunately, one of my abusers, one of my seven was at church. And so it's a bit of a bittersweet thing for me because those people at that church stood in gaps. They took me home on Sunday afternoons and fed me. We took epic naps. We went back to church. 
because back then you went to church yeah. five or six days a week. Right. right. And, um, and so people in that church took care of me. They paid for me to go to summer camp. They did all the things. And so I met Jesus at that time, memorized scripture, um, that are still very much hidden in my heart. Um, but at age 14, my mom invited a pedophile who had just gotten out of prison to live in our house with us. And I was done. I was just completely over being hurt. I was over being scared. I was tired from supporting myself for, from, from age four or five, I was exhausted. Why did she do that? You know, I always wonder in these situations, because she died when I was 19. uh, I always wonder in these situations, what broke you? Mm, Right. And I, what broke you? And I met, there are two older sisters that she had abandoned before us. And I just met them, not, I met them in January of 2020. And we asked that question, why, what broke her? Something broke her. And we don't know what that is. She is a general. My, my grandfather was a three-star general in the army. I come from a very Southern affluent wow. family, all very published authors, accomplished pianists, accomplished musicians. My mom, just something wasn't okay. And so that night, one Sunday night, I went to church and told my pastor's wife what happened. I said, she's got this man living in our house and he did this and he's the seventh and I can't do this anymore. And of course she, they didn't send me home. They called the state, the state of Florida who then investigated and he went back to jail. And although I was not healthy enough to be able to to testify against him and, and his abuse of me left no forensic evidence. And so he, he ultimately got out of jail And we know that because the state of Florida said to my mom, well, you don't seem to be the problem, which is a whole nother question is suspect their investigation, but you don't seem to be the problem. If he is out of your house, then you can have Amy back. And she said, okay, perfect. I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll make him move. And so they packed my stuff up. It had been about 10 days and took me back to the house. And as soon as we drove up to the house, there was a note on the door, gone to get married, mom. Oh, wow. So the social workers put me back in the car. We went to the courthouse. And as a 15-year-old kid, I watched the judge sign away my mom's parental rights. And I lived with my pastor and his wife for 18 months before being placed in a children's home in Tampa, Florida, which is where this, this is the happy part because it was a very, very happy experience for me. Best years of my life. I was loved. I was, I used to, I was so shy. I was, I never talked. I, I just, I, they loved me back to life. I went to, to Clearwater Christian College on a full ride scholarship as a result of being in the children's home and working there and maybe being, yeah, I, I earned it. I, I'll say that too. But, uh, but being in the children's home was why I got a full ride scholarship and, and didn't pay a dime for college. Now, at that point, you know, I was like every other 22 year old when I graduated from college, thought I knew everything. And there's a reason we were talking about Bon Jovi uh, before the interview. Yeah. And I love that his song with Jennifer Nettles, who says you can't go home. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why you can't go back home. And yeah. so at 22, I moved back to Jacksonville, met, met and moved in with a man, and, which it had been against anything I'd ever been taught, and uh, who ended up abusing me for 12 years uh, in, in every form that you can imagine. So when I was 35 years old in 2000 and seven. So y'all can do the math. Um, I, I was able to safely leave him 
and moved back to Clearwater where I went to college, got involved in a church, loved back to life again, to the point where I got safe enough to fall apart. And I ended up at one night, I could not go to sleep because of the flashbacks and floodings and all the things. And so for every, and I had to be in front of a chemistry class because at that point I was teaching. So I had, to, I had to be in front of a chemistry class at 745. And so for every hour I could not go to sleep, I took a clonopin, which is like a, a, um, a Xanax and that family. And I never could go to sleep. And so the next day I went and I taught chemistry. I taught anatomy. I taught an intro to business class for, for, for a college. But then on my break, I went down to my assistant principal and told him what I did. And he said, okay, do you think you could teach your last class? I said, yeah, absolutely. I've been teaching all day. What are you talking about? He said, come down and see me when you're done. And I did. And he had one of my very good friends there, my pastor's wife. And he said, Cheryl's going to take you to the hospital and we're going to get you some help. And I was in a psych ward for five days where I was first diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And at the time, my, uh, my ex-husband was still alive, still very dangerous, had a lifetime restraining order against him. While I was in the hospital, he sent me five emails saying that he very graphically how he wanted to end my life. And so I literally got home to those emails and had to turn around the next day and file a restraining order against him. And here's part, Eric, where no one, I've not told this part to anybody. Here's, here's part. I, I wanted to save some for you. So he continued to be very, very dangerous. Um, and I, I couldn't post where I was on social media. I had to have a special address through Tallahassee. I had to hide everything because he was coming after me. And the only reason why I believe he didn't is because he was always inebriated and I was three hours from him. One day I get a phone call that he has died in a hotel room of a drug overdose all by himself. And that was in 2015. And when I say to you that I've, that that was a dark night of my soul, I can't understate that. Wow. Because even though he put me through 12 years of hell, what had happened would have been, was the thing that I was afraid was going to happen the whole time I was married. Because all I had experienced is loss, loss, yeah. loss, 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 loss. And if people loved me, it meant I had to give them something with the exception of the children's home and even my new church in, at that time in Clearwater. When he died, and I know when it was because I was watching the Peyton Manning, retire, he, Peyton Manning retirement speech and I was sobbing and I was like, I like Peyton Manning as a person, but he's been <laughs> lighting up my Jaguars for, 20, for 15 years. Why am I crying? Yeah. And I fell apart and I had what I call a John the Baptist moment. Because very similar to that day that I went to church and told my pastor's wife, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. That's how I was when John died. Because the only thing I wanted to see was him come to know Jesus so that one day, so that he could, so one day is that he could have full restoration, full healing. And that when I got to heaven, that that relationship would be the same because I've forgiven him. And, and it, it was just like, okay, God, I am done. There's nothing more you can take from me. There's nothing more you can do to me. Are you coming? Just like John the Baptist said when he was in prison, all the apostles coming saying all the cool things are happening. Because understand at this point, all of my friends are happily married with jobs and kids and yeah. all the things that we all want. And 
I'm running a, at that point, a very new business, just trying to stay alive on handfuls of medication, just to keep the anxiety and the PTSD down. And so I texted about 10 of my friends, just three words, John is dead. And they then I found out later got on their own text message and had a party pretty much. But that wasn't how I felt. I was very, very sad that he died. And his son, who I helped raise, I had to find. And now we're coming way more recent in the last 18 months. His son, Kevin, who came to live with us when he was 11 years old, called me mom. Loved that kid. Ended up doing some prison time, but got out of prison. But when his dad died, for some reason, people reached out to me to find Kevin. Mm. And so I found him and I told him what happened. And Kevin and I, over the next 18 months, were able to really just continue to, re- to bond over that loss and to heal over some things until I got the phone call that Kevin died the same way his dad did Yeah, with a needle in his arm. And that was about a year ago. And um, that's, that's, that's been tough. Yeah, I remember when that happened. I remember you sharing that. And that was, that was a big moment too for you. Yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was another dark night of the soul. Um, but what I would say to, to everyone who is listening, when I, when I say there's John the Baptist moments, so crisis of faith moments or the dark night of the soul, it is just these moments when you question everything. Yeah. But I'm so grateful for those times because it's in that dark time, like like you you joked at the beginning, I'm just planting I was just planting trees. And as I was mixing around that soil praying about this interview, I thought good things happen in the dark. That's right. And 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 these roots are going to grow in the dark. And only the fruit or the leaves, if you will, get to see the sun and, and get to, to to as a result of the dark. Yeah. And so I hope that's what my life is. My, my life verse is Philippians 1.12, where Paul says, I, I want you to know that everything that has happened to me has really happened to further the gospel. And so that's my hope, and that's my prayer with my work with my podcast, my work with my writing, my work with mentorship, um, whatever, however I'm interacting with people, when live things come back behind podiums, behind keyboards, that, that is my, my life, that's my mission is that people will know that my other favorite verse, Joel 2.25, that God will restore the years that the locusts have stolen. And I believe that's what's happening right now. In this very moment, on this very day, I believe that's what's happening right now. I love that. I love that, first of all, because nobody ever quotes the prophets, so that's good. Uh, The minor prophets at that. The minor prophets, that's powerful. But also, yeah, I I love, I've read a book by uh, John Eldridge about, about eternity and it was so good. And that was one of the things he brings out is that, you know, God's going to restore all the things that have been, that have been taken from us. And, you know, I've, I got some of those things, nothing, nothing like you do, but um, totally it's, it's an encouraging thing. Right. So yeah, for sure. Uh, to, to remember. And that's part of the promise of the gospel as well is that, Hey, this is not what's happened here is not forever because Jesus has promised to restore um, and okay. I could talk about that for a while, but I'm not and gonna... some of that we can see, you know, we'll get to see, you yeah. know, like I said, I'm behind a microphone. So are you, um, and, and, and he's restored yep. many, many things in your, in your own life, you know, directions we thought, you know, you thought you were going and now this, you know, and right. so 
Yeah, some of uh, some of it we get to see and some of it we don't. Absolutely. I will tell you that today, present day 2021, I am very well loved. Uh, I met a friend of mine at that church that I told you about, and uh, she became a very, very good friend. And as a matter of fact, uh, she and I were roommates for six years, but I didn't have anybody. When I left my ex-husband, I didn't have anybody. My closest blood relatives are in Canada and their wow. cousins. So I didn't have anybody except for a whole lot of grit and that, you know, that, that I, I call it Watsonizing, just, you know what, I'm going to just go till I die to go to, I felt fall down. Um, but, uh, she became such a close friend to me and she said, my family will be your family. And she is not wrong. I am, I am recording this podcast and a house that her dad built for me because he never wanted me to not have a house again. Wow. Okay. All right. So that's, we kind of, like that's the whole kind of broad story, but I want right. to go into a couple of moments okay? because um, I want to hear like what your experience of the Lord is like, because that's, that's one of the things, you know, that we're trying, that we're trying to, trying to share. And so, you know, you found, you know, I can imagine, I mean, it's some just sounds like horrific abuse that you, that you had to go through, even as a young, young child. I mean, just that kind of neglect, I can't. Imagine I might threaten to lock my kids up, but I, I probably wouldn't actually do it. Right. <laughs> and not for a day, hours. No, like right. Exactly. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's a, yeah. Uh, which I probably won't do that now. I won't make that threat anymore, but, um, <laughs> but that like, so, but just going through those kinds of things, like, were you aware of God in those, in those things? Like, did you have a sense of, of God at all? Or did you wonder about God. When I so when when I started going to church at, and I was 10 when that happened I soaked into the things of of God and church now I don't looking back on it now I don't know if I was really leaning into the idea of God as much as I was leaning into the idea of somebody is paying attention to me yeah. and those things but I but I soaked up the scriptures and I soaked up all of that but the first time that I remember God being present and and actively seeking a relationship with Jesus was when I was in the children's home. Because the day I was dropped off there, while I while I will say to you that was a hard day, uh, the day I was I was dropped off there was the day that it was just me and God and these people that I didn't know. And so that was when I really began to dig into the scriptures and and particularly the Psalms. And I would I would I would memorize those scriptures and all of the things. And I prayed and, you know, I, you know, those superlatives that they do in high school, I never got most athletic or most likely to succeed. I always got things like best testimony or, you know, mo things in this vein, because I was, I, I was a good, I was a good kid and I couldn't identify my love for Jesus at that point because I didn't understand him. I wasn't even healthy enough to go, where were you during all of these things? Yeah. And so, but as I moved through high school and and, and then college, my mom died when I was 19, just turned 19, 12 days after my 19th birthday. I had not seen her or, or anything until I turned 18 because the state wouldn't let me. And when she died, that was the first time I remember being slammed to my knees and saying, God, this is a pain that I, that only you can help. I've been through all this stuff, but she's dead. I didn't tell her I forgave her and I don't have a mom. I, we don't even have enough money to bury her. Yeah. Help. 
And I began to pursue a relationship with God at that point. And now when I met and married my ex-husband, I was, I, I had gotten church hurt and I'm air quoting when I say that and, and decided that I was going to spend a decade away from God and church. And I did that. But then when it got to the height of the domestic violence, I went back to church, got loved back to life, and they started giving me teaching opportunities to teach, which I love to teach. And so I began to dig deep into the Bible and, and I was teaching the book of Daniel, you know, and, and, and hard stuff. And I was loving life, but those people said, you got to get out of that marriage. And so now that had wow. been completely opposite of everything I had been taught in this independent church that I, yeah. I, and you, you might cut this, but I call it independent Baptist cool up wearing KJV <laughs> only church. That was that church. Yeah. And then, and then you fast forward to the church that I was in, uh, right before I left my domestic violence marriage, much more in lane, uh, in line with, with what I think and feel and believe and know. And so really began to depend on God then. But so I've always had a relationship with, with, with God and with Jesus, but it wasn't until that psych ward and that when I was in that psych ward mm. where those doors locked behind me, which you can imagine what that reminded me of. Yeah. And Oh my so goodness. I was like, we have come full circle. And at that point, I felt like I put myself in that locked room versus my mom because I had refused to deal with any of the trauma. I just kept going. Put your hand to the plow. This is where I think we do some damage in the church. Put your the hand to the plow, Amy. Don't look back. You're not your future's not back there. But there was a lot of stuff back there that needed to be addressed. And that's why I ended up in a psych ward. Okay. Can we talk about that for just a minute? 100%. Because yes, I, I've been on this little soapbox, I guess, for a while about our language as evangelicals. Like I know that some of it, that comes from scripture directly, right? Yeah. I get it. I love scripture. I'm not saying that's bad, but you're right. There's a way there, cause there's a time for these things, right? I think the, the other thing that just maddens me is this idea of like, well, don't be selfish. Like, you know, that, that like you can't take care of yourself, which probably maybe played into that. I don't know, but like oh, to this idea that we should just be selfless in order to be like Jesus, but no, no, Jesus had a self. He understood himself. He took care of himself, right? He did all those things. And at the appropriate time, he sacrificed himself, but he was aware of what he was doing and he didn't do it without pleading to the father to not have to, right? There's, we need to remember all that and not talk about it as if, as if our caring for ourselves is a bad thing because it's not, we're made to do that. Um, well, and, and we know scripture also says, cause if we're going to use it, let's counsel with the whole council, the whole person, the whole yeah, council, right. but we know that, that, you know, we know that scripture also, we see, we read the laments and the Psalms. Yeah. And so um, one of the most misquoted scriptures in my life has been, Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for other people. Yeah. And that's fair. But when you say I'm an Enneagram too, and I love the Enneagram. And as a matter of fact, tonight I have my first Enneagram coaching session because the problem with the two is you got a problem. I'm there. And yeah. I, and I, and, and so, but that along with that scripture that you just cited, you, you know, lay down your life for everybody landed me in a psych ward because right. that's what I had done for I was 35 years old. So my whole life had been about other people, never about taking care of all of that damage, seven abusers, and then a domestic violence marriage. 
and my body was like, your brain might not be saying you're done, but you're done. Yeah. And of course, right. Of course. So how did you, so you obviously you had no choice at that point to, to deal with the kind of, you know, abuse that you'd been through and the emotional and all that trauma. How did you, like, where did God factor into that for you? Like, did you, you said you kind of dug into scripture and things, but like what, what happened there? So when I was in the hospital, they, I'm a writer and I, that's, I've always been a writer as long as I can remember. And I wanted to write something because I wanted to remember that. And they gave me like a little one inch pencil because, you know, I guess they were afraid that I was going to hurt myself or somebody else. And I still have what I wrote and it's just a bunch of God. I don't understand you. I don't know what you're doing. I don't want to be here, but I know that, that you also felt what I am feeling right now. And you just referenced it, Eric, in the time that was appropriate when it was time for him to sacrifice his own life. And I felt like that psych ward was that moment for me. Like I just did not want to be on this planet and really had fully planned something else. I had not shared somewhere else had fully planned on taking the prescriptions they gave me going home and finishing what I had somewhat started before. Yeah. Because I was just so sad and I just didn't understand where are you, God, where are you? So I went and I, and by that time I had asked my friend Chrissy for two things, some pajamas and my Bible. And she brought my Bible to me and I woke up the second morning I was there in the psych ward with a new roommate who had slit her wrists and so I'm in go mode now. Um, now I'm, I can help her. I'm in go mode and oh, I have wow. my Bible. Yeah. So she's asking me about it and I'm writing with that little pencil and I'm just kind of reading whatever, wherever, you know. And she said, well, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just reading my Bible. And she said, well, where would you tell me to start? And I said, well, let me get, let me ask you this. When's your birthday? And she said, my birthday is October 31st. I said, well, let me tell you the concept of a birthday verse. And the concept of a birthday verse is my birthday is December the 1st. And so, um, and now that everybody does the math, you have my full birthday, but December the 1st, uh, I started in the old, excuse me, in the New Testament. And I started with after, you know, the first book that had 12 chapters, that wasn't a gospel. And I came to Romans 12, verse one. And that's my life first. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And so I told Stacy this, who has bandages, Eric, I mean, like bandages yeah. from her slitting her wrist, said, let's find your Bible verse. Let's find yours. Well, unlike when I looked at mine, I skipped the Gospels, skipped all the epistles and went straight to Romans. Well, we got to Matthew 1031 for her. And I can't quote it right now, but that verse, that the spirit of that verse is, he cares more about you than the sparrows. Oh, yeah. And she said, I don't need you to look into any other verse, any other chapters. We don't need to look at any other 10th chapter, 31st verse anymore. You mean God is here with me and he loves me? And I'm in a psych ward. She's in a psych ward. And I, I said, I know this doesn't make sense to you, but yes. And let me tell you about Jesus's dark night of the soul, because he asked three times in the garden. And then again on the cross, when the father had to turn his back on him to take on our sin. And she sobbed and I was able to lead her to the Lord in the psych ward. And it was at that point that I knew I have a lot of work to do. I have a lot of healing to do. 
but it's going to be PTSD, Jesus and me. We're going to fight. Yeah. We're going to fight hard. I'm not going to sit by the pool of Bethesda and make excuses of why I'm not asking, why I'm not seeking healing. I want to be like the lady in Mark 5 who just touched his, who, who just mm. knew he was coming into town and just touched his garment. And he turned around, and this is so precious to me. Jesus turned around, and it's the only time in the Bible this word is used. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. And so that was the time when my relationship with Jesus got real because I knew I was going home, and so the, I wasn't eating in the hospital. I wasn't doing any of those things. I wanted to die until that day that I led Stacy to the Lord at, because of Matthew 10, 31. I don't know where she is today. I don't know where she is today. Yeah. But I know where she will be one day. And I literally, so we left there and, and a bunch of other bad stuff happened after that. But that's when I knew that it was going to be PTSD, Jesus and me, along with community, along with church, and along with counseling, which is what I spend every waking moment talking to people about right now in 2021 since I started my podcast besides planting a hundred trees. Yeah. Okay. So moment. I don't know. So I don't know anybody who might be more qualified to talk about this, but like the whole world has gone through trauma, right? And it's, again, it's not comparable at all, but like this whole, we've been stripped of everything. We've been, we've, you know, how, how do you see that playing out? I'm just curious what you're, cause you've I, got so much experience. I think that if PTSD was not an epidemic before 2021, it is now. See, that's a little terrifying, right? Because what happens, I'm learning, is that, you know, probably your mom, like you said earlier, what broke you, right? She didn't do any of those things because she was a bad person. It was because she was probably abused at some point, right? Somehow. Right. And so that's what happens to people who have these okay. things. They they try to work it out and they try to make themselves feel better. And uh, that's, that's a little frightening. It's the reason why it's so important for people who have a voice, like I have a voice in this, and many, many people have a voice in this, is that trauma does not have to be the end of your life. It, 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 I, the healing that I have experienced is my counselor has been doing this for 30 years, and he says I have never seen anything like it. And so what I want listeners to hear is, yes, in 2021, in the last 367 days, we have all been traumatized. We've all been what the, the clinical definition of trauma is. We've all been through it. But what I would like to encourage people to do is to seek help and to listen to people that are trying to get in your ear and say, please don't wait until you end up in a psych ward to deal with what you lost. This is another thing the church didn't do well 20 years ago. Yeah. Counseling was taboo. Mental illness was taboo. Yeah. Isn't that weird? You've got to make that right. That freaks me out. Like, that, that's like, why would we think that? So this is kind of that holistic thinking about the human being, right? Hey, your heart, you, God wants to heal that too. Right? He wants right. to heal. So how have you, you described some of it, but is, is there like a, what stands out to you in ways that God has helped kind of heal your heart? through Community. Uh, I have a circle of friends who love me unconditionally. Uh, one, one, a, a mutual friend we have now, this is a new friend, but said something to me and, and it was in passing some, some work that we're, we're doing together. And I received it as rejection. 
And, um, but to be able to have a, a group of people around me that are willing to live with the results of the trauma that I've been through, like that friend who says, oh, you know what, next time I'll word that differently. But the thing that has helped me the most is community, yes. But if you're not pointing me back to Jesus, you, you're, not point, you're, you're not necessarily part of the healing story. The people mm. that have been the meanest, the people that I, I've got mean friends, I've got good cop, bad cop friends, and they will see me overdoing it. They will see me. The podcast about burned me out as it does all people. But yeah. about midway through, I had friends jump in and literally take my phone from me. But the thing that this stands out to me that the Lord has used the most is his people mm. who just love me and who do life with me and all the stuff that comes with this much trauma. It is God's people who, and, and, and some people who aren't Christians, but it's just people going, you know what, we're going to look, stand in gaps. And that's been happening for me my whole life, not just recently, but that pastor's family that stood in gaps, the people yeah. that fed me at, at church. I can't stress people community enough in the healing of trauma. How, you know, one, one thing we talked about talking about is how the church responds. I mean, how, are you, how grateful are you for the church who like, intervened and was willing to call the authorities right like i am i am immeasurably grateful but i'm equally as sad that i am the exception to that yeah but yeah three different times when i was 10 then again when i uh was in college and then when i got when i moved away from my domestic violence marriage and the last church the church i attend now the, the pastor and his wife are good friends of mine, but they've got a huge push on normalizing mental health. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. Well, that indicates to us that we too then should take care of that. And what the church needs to do, and when I say the church, I'm looking at myself because we are the church, right? but we need to counsel the whole person with the whole counsel of God. We don't need to extrapolate Philippians 4:13 or Jeremiah 29:11 or putting your hand to the plow or any of the things that we both can spout off. We can't say you have a problem, I got a Bible verse. Right. Cuz somebody Eric wrote on a Facebook post on my podcast the other day that said the church is the reason I have PTSD. Wow. Now, that's not a slight, you know, we're, we, we know better now, we do better in the church, but it was open season on kids for a long time. Yeah. And you know what, what, what grieves me about that is that it's as evangelicals, we'd like to think in the nineties when it was coming out about the Catholics, right? Oh, it's just, right. a, it's a Catholic thing. Cause they don't let their priests get married. Oh no, my friends, it's been going on whether it's, is, you know, uh, pastors praying on, women in their church or children in their church or whatever it happens. And it happens because again, we're people, right? We're sinful and we're power where there's power there, there is abuse. So, yeah. um, but I will, but I am very grateful because it is the church that saved me. It is the, and so, so now my relationship with, with Jesus is, it is everything but I realized when I was recording a podcast a couple of weeks ago that I had never actually asked him to heal me of my PTSD. Wow. 
and it was uh, with with a fellow friend of ours, Marcus Watson, and oh, yeah. we were doing a special episode. But I said to to Marcus, who was a pastor, because uh, I had another guest on who um, has experienced healing from PTSD, and that's my last episode actually. But so I said to Marcus Watson, who is a pastor, why did God heal him and not me? And his answer to that is beautiful. First, he laughed and was like, thanks for putting me on the spot. But then he said, well, I know the answer is not that God works in mysterious ways or anything else I can plug at it. And here's what that pastor said to me. And this is what all pastors need to say to all victims past, present, and hopefully no future. But Marcus said, Amy, I don't know why God chose to heal Shay and not you. He said, I don't know why what happened to you happened to you. But he said, but I know that that God loves you and that one day we'll find out the answer to these questions, but I don't know. And that was so huge to me. And that's when I came up with the realization, well, what would help if I asked him to heal me? Yeah. And so I have. I have been asking him to heal me. Um, but I want access to the pain, Eric, because I want always to remember a little bit of all the pain so that when I get the opportunity to help people that I know what they're feeling in the pit of their stomach. Yeah. yeah I wonder, I don't think that probably ever goes away. Uh, even Jesus carries his scars, right. For all of eternity. Right. And so, uh, there, and we learn from his scars, not his wounds. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and so that's my goal. Yeah. Yeah. Too. Wow. Okay. First of all, Marcus is a good pastor. That's, that's yes, astounding. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I was kind of overwhelmed just hearing that and just being really grateful for him. That's, a, that's such a good answer. And, and so tender. Yeah. Like he is. He's so great. You know. Okay. Guys, you should go check out Marcus. Show. <laughs> He's spiritual life and leadership. He's also been a guest on the show, but, uh, that's powerful. Um, Amy, I'm so there's probably a lot that we can we can go through. I I think that's so true. The whole thing of, you know, I've I've had some of those questions where I'm asking God, like, why didn't you do these things, right? And there's no answer to that, right? Even even right. even if, you know, people people make choices, and and God lets them make choices sometimes. Um, but He's faithful to redeem. But He's still so faithful. Back right. to that Joel two twenty five, and that's the hope for me. That is the yeah. hope in all of this is that one day I'm going to be standing before Jesus and I just literally see myself falling in his arms saying, I am so tired, Yeah, but I don't have to wait until then. And that's where I struggle right. in my present day walk with him is letting him, I didn't even know what a yoke was. You live in the, I think you, you may be from the Midwest if yeah. you're like the St. Louis Cardinals. Those of us in Florida living in by sand, we don't know what a yoke is. But my counselor had this weird thing in his office one time. I was like, what is that? He said, oh, that's a yoke. And it helped me understand that verse that where, where Jesus says, "Yeah, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's where I am today in my walk with Jesus is very much trying to do that. But I don't do that very well because I am a big fan of control. Yeah, I bet you are. I don't blame you for that either. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of control. And so I think that people out there are going to be asking, particularly after the pandemic, if there is a God, why? But I'll tell you, Eric, that I had a, 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 a 
a room full of people that I was talking to recently. And the subject was, where was God in your darkest hour? And I flanked myself in that room with other people because I was terrified. Pastors, therapists, psychologists, all of it. Because I was so afraid of what people were going to say and in front of live people where I could not say, stop what they were saying. I was afraid that people were going to say, God really screwed my life and he doesn't, he's not all the omnis. We were in that conversation for almost two hours. Not one person said that. They told sad stories. They told horrible stories. But they said, at the end of the day, I landed at the only place I could. And that is at the feet of Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, forever. I don't understand why what happened to me happened to me, these people are saying. But at the end of the day, went through, I mean, some of them went through all the things, all the all the other things out there, religions out there. But they said, Jesus is the only one that doesn't require anything of me except for me to turn around. Wow. And I don't know how it gets any better than that. My life has not been good. That is a fact. I still live with tons of health issues as a result of all of those things. But I really hope that friends like you will will keep encouraging me so that my last breath is Jesus, God, is going to redeem all, all of it. Amen. All of it. Wow. Amen. I love that. He is the great redeemer. There's a scene that just I keep thinking of as we as we talk in um, the Passion of the Christ, where Jesus is on his way to the cross, is bloody, he's got a crown of thorns, and he falls down. And if I remember it right, and I think it's his mom or maybe some of the women that come up to him and they kind of get, you know, put put a towel on his face or something. And he looks over and he says, behold, I'm making all things new, right? Um, which is also in Revelation. 21.5. Yeah. And which is, the, which is the, that's the promise. He's making all things new. And that's the one that we, that we hold on to even, even in the midst of our, of our trauma. Amy, I, uh, I love, thank you for sharing your story. I don't love your story, but I love that you've shared it. And I love that what God has done in your life because of it. And um, I, I see you doing rooms like that. I see you sharing on your podcast. Uh, and maybe that's one of the ways that he, that he redeems and he reminds that, that he is not absent. He is, he is the God who, who's making things new. And, and who understands. And he understands because he's, he's been through it and he, he went right. through it. That's just the astounding thing. Uh, okay. Amy, your podcast uh, is t- tell us people where they can find it and they can. So real simple, just Wednesdays with Watson uh, com, And you can you can at that point, uh, like I read the same article you did subscribe, follow, whatever, it, whatever <laughs> makes that 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 episode download on your phone. Please do that. Uh, but Wednesdays with Watson dot com. You could even Google Wednesdays with Watson. That's the best place to find everything. Uh, on, and because I, I'm pretty out there. And so even when you Google Wednesdays with Watson, my Instagram and all that stuff comes up. But but it is the mission of that podcast is to help people who are asking if God is sovereign, God is great and God is good, then why? Because I'm very real, especially in that first season. And, and I want people to experience what I experienced in that room full of people. How can she still land there? Yeah. And then I want them to direct message me so that we can help them. Amen. I love that. Amy, is there anything you want to leave us with? 
One final thing, if you are on the other side of my voice and in need of counseling, the podcast did raise a full year pro pro bono counseling. And one of the things COVID did for us is now you can do that across state lines. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you need help and can't afford it, uh, if you go to baylightcounseling.com and just mention my name, if, if that scholarship money is still available, that their services will be available to you free of charge. I love that. Thanks for that, Amy. Uh, thanks for being here, and I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm just wishing you My the best. My so good to see you. On your show. Thanks. 